Go ahead and turn James chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 18. I want to invite Sean Perry up to read for us this morning out of our text. And if you are able, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? If you're new to Central and that's kind of an odd thing for you, we do this on purpose because we believe it's an important thing to just be reminded of the importance of God's word in our lives, that we are underneath that, um, his word, and we seek to submit ourselves to his word. And so standing is one way we can do that. All right, sister, uh, I'll hand it off to you. Good morning, church family. Our scripture selection is James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Church, hear the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Thank you, Sean. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to lift our voices to you in praise. Thank you for uh, the wonderful encouragement of seeing uh, Cheney K be baptized. Lord, we're so grateful for um, that confession and just the reminder of your steadfastness to continue to work in the lives of your people. Um, Father, now we turn to your word. And Lord, certainly ask for your help this morning in dealing with this text, as it's a, a text that's um, convicting. It's convicting to myself. I think it's convicting to all of us as we look to um, the temptations inside of us that oftentimes lead us to sin. And as Paul says, we know none of us have arrived to perfection yet. We're, we're not there, and so we're all striving to forget that which is behind us and, and continue to press on towards what is before us. And yet, here you've given us your word to encourage us, to correct us, to help us to see what the the challenges are for us. And so, uh, Lord, I ask for your help this morning, uh, that you would speak through me. Um, Lord, that you would allow me to not be speaking anything of myself, but only what you would have for your people. And by your spirit, we ask that you would work in each of us the way only you know how to bring about more conformity to the likeness of your son, Jesus, that we would continue to move, as we talked about, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory in this journey of faith. And so, Lord, we just ask for your favor Uh, during this time this morning. We pray all of these things um, in your name. Amen. Uh, So I'm guessing most of us here, um, save Alir, grew up here in the United States, uh, and you went through the education system here, and you learned all kinds of stuff about our history and and the different things that we've gone through as a country. One of those things I'm sure you've learned many, many times, we actually talk about it all the time in our house, how uh, the Civil War gets talked about, it seems like every single year from kindergarten all the way up into high school, and yet somehow um, it seems to get overshadowed a lot by um, World War I, World War II, and yet Civil War was one of the most 
impactful wars and uh, things we've ever experienced as a nation. If you know much about that, obviously uh, it's the war that ended slavery, but it affected us and created scars on our country economically, spiritually, in all kinds of different ways. And as you study that war, you know like it, it cost more American lives in four years than World War II. World War, Civil War cost over 620,000 American lives. Like it was a brutal four years. And in the beginning of that war, it didn't look like the North were going to win. In fact, we forget that. And for the first two years, like the South seemed to be winning everything. Victory was at hand time after time until 1863 when there were two battles that seemed to be the turning points of the Civil War. One of those is extremely famous in the Battle of Gettysburg, and the other is the fall at Vicksburg. And there's lots of reasons why those battles changed the history of that war, but one of those was a new invention that came into uh, the North, and it was the, the Spencer Repeater Rifle. And that rifle changed the game for the North because they were able to shoot 14 times in the amount of time the Confederates had to shoot only three times. And so that changed those battles in favor of the North. And obviously we know the rest of the history. Now, why in the world do I bring up that story in we, as we get into the text of James? Well, here's the reason why I bring that up. It's because James wants us to be victorious people. We use the language we've used in Revelation. He wants us to be um, overcomers in the battles that we are fighting. That's what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial or testing. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who bears up under the tests. James wants us to be victorious. He wants us to stand the tests that come to us so that we will receive the glory of the crown of life which God has promised to us. Like he wants us to be able to fight well. And so sometimes we need new tools to be introduced into the fight so that we understand the battle or that we can fight well, and like the Spencer Repeater rifle, right? And James is doing that in this text as he's beginning to communicate some things to us about the trials that we experience. Last week, we talked about external trials, things that come from outside when people sin against us or there's circumstances in our lives. This week, we talk about internal trials, internal temptations to sin. And so here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you have ever felt like the war between you and your sin is being lost, today is for you. If you're here today and you just sometimes feel weary at the battle of fighting against sin in your life, like today is for you. If you want to face the temptations of your own heart with courage and with hope, today is for you. If you don't understand why that one thing continues to hold on in your life, and you just you, you fight it and you struggle, and yet you don't seem to be finding victory and, and deliverance from that thing, I, I believe that today is for you. Because James wants us all to be able to be steadfast so that we can receive the crown of life. And so jumping right in, one of the things that James is helping us to understand, one of the tools, one of the weapons he's giving to us in this battle in regards to internal temptations to sin is he's helping us to recognize the problem. This is the first thing that needs to happen. 
We need to recognize the issue that's going on inside of us. And one of the first things James does is remind us who's not the problem. And that's God. Are there times when God allows things to happen to us that we don't like? Yes. At times, is he even behind certain things that might test us? Absolutely. Is God ever to blame for the temptations to sin that happen inside of us? Absolutely not. God never is the one who tempts us to sin. James makes this abundantly clear. He says, let no one say when he is tempted. And I think it's interesting. Let no one say. He doesn't say if they're tempted. He says when they are tempted. Right? So this is the we're all going to experience. We all have experienced it. Some of us experience it today, right? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Like, this is important for us, right? Because it's easy in the midst of our struggles to start looking to God and being like, well, why aren't you doing this? Why is this happening? Well, I did this because of something you allowed. Listen, God is never to blame for your sin or my sin. We are to blame, always. And you say, well, what, what about the thing that happened in my life that really pressed me to look at something else? Well, let me, let me give you an analogy. Um, obviously, many of you, again, grew up in um, the United States, and so you know, like, it's, during a Valentine's Day in February, you go to school, and what happens on that day is you do some decoration of a box, and then our kids come home with this massive pile of candy and cookies and all kinds of stuff, Right? And so here's the thing, if I as an adult, as a parent, tell my kids, hey, it's okay, go ahead and take that entire box of candy into your room uh, and just lay it all out and look at it, um, just eat one piece, don't eat the rest, just one piece, don't eat any more, like, am I causing those kids to be tempted to disobey me? No, I'm not. Like, like, I'm not. And here's one of the reasons why. Because there's going to be some kids that aren't tempted to do that at all, right? The responsible kids that under, they have like an internal governor where they're like, I'm only going to eat one piece of candy and then I'm going to hide the rest so that I can eat it for the rest of the year. But then you've got the other kid who for some reason inside of him wants to shove every piece of candy in his mouth at one time, right? And they're just going to go until they throw up or pass out or their pancreas actually leaves their body, Right? So you know those kids, right? Am I wrong in telling my kids, like, here's, here's a circumstance. Like, don't eat it. Like, trust me. I know what's best. Am I the reason they may choose to disobey? No, I'm not. That's coming from inside of them. That's coming from inside of them. And, and so here's the thing. We can never blame God, no matter what the reasoning behind it. We can never blame God for any sin. His temptation is present. It's present because it's in us. It is our hearts that lead us to temptation. Always our hearts. And again, James makes this clear as we walk ourselves through the test or through the text. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? Go ahead and speak it out. I know you're awake. Right? They're tempted by his what? own desires. Not God, like your own desire. This is why oftentimes here at Central we say like our hearts are deceptively wicked. Our sin is on our hands 
and in our hearts. We cannot trust our hearts. We cannot trust our desires. We cannot trust what we're born with, our feelings. None of that stuff can be trusted. And we know this, even as Christians that have been made new creations, like we feel this battle going on inside us where we want to listen to two different things, right? Like we, you feel the desires of your flesh and you want to hear that and you want to give way to that, but you also, as a Christian, want to be obedient to the word of the Lord. Right? There's this battle that's going on inside of us. And yet these temptations are there in us, luring us and enticing us away from what we truly want, which is to follow the Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian, you obviously don't want to follow the Lord. You're just going to give in to those desires of your flesh. John makes it even more specific when he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes... And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we have the desires of the flesh, the carnal passions. This is the stuff that just, it just feels good to us, right? The stuff we just want. We want to be liked by others. We want the praise of men. We want good food. We want, and some of this stuff, by the way, is not all bad, right? And we're going to talk about that later. But this is our flesh has certain desires that it just longs for certain things. It wants certain things, possessions, comforts, security. Our flesh screams for this stuff. And anytime your flesh feels discomfort, like it screams for some sort of a, a respite, doesn't it? Like whether it's physical discomfort or whether it's emotional discomfort, like we're constantly desiring other things in this world to calm and quiet the hunger of our flesh. This is what the scripture calls the, the carnal desires of the flesh. But it's not just that. We also have the desires of the eyes. This is a never-ending desire. Your eyes will always what want what you do not have. And your eyes will always want more of what you already have. Like, have you ever noticed that? Like it's always going to want what you don't have and your eyes are always going to want more of what you already have. Like this is real. Everyone in this room knows this. All you have to do is look at social media for 10 seconds and within a few seconds, you're gonna start finding yourself wanting stuff you don't have. Maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a this, maybe it's a that, maybe it's an experience, maybe it's a, a different person to be in your life, a relationship that you don't have. Like your eyes are constantly wanting more and no matter how much you look at, it never is satisfied, never. We all know this, right? So we have the desires of the flesh, we have the desires of our eyes, and we have the pride of life, which is this belief that we know best, the belief that we can control everything. We can do anything we want to do. It's the pride of flesh. I, I'm, I'm God. I'm the one who understands and knows what's best for my life. See, here's the thing. Any struggle with sin that we have in our lives can be traced to one or all of these things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. This is the reality of living in a broken world. It's constantly luring us. 
luring us away, enticing us because of the desires that are inside of us. And so one of the things, not only do we recognize the problem, but we also need to recognize the lures. James says the temptation comes when we are lured away, enticed. The sense of these words really is as it sounds. It's the image of us being drugged away by something. It's not a mistake that we fall into. It's not this idea that we just accidentally sin. It's this idea that we're being enticed to sin, drug away to sin, like, like because of the desires of our heart. Um, you may have remember a few months ago, um, Brandon, our student pastor, he preached, and he had Aiden come up, and, and he had the fishing pole, remember? And he had the little dollar on the fishing pole, and it was the illustration that as he kind of pulls away, like Aiden would slowly get enticed and drug away. Like That's what this is. Like these lures that are out there, they're constantly trying to pull our hearts away from the Lord, constantly trying to pull our hearts away from that which is most satisfying and most good for us. The question is that we need to ask, why do our desires do this? What is the test that is happening inside of our hearts? What is the the temptation that's actually taking place? Because here's the thing, not everything tempts everybody the same way, right? Right? So you got to understand why that lure is having an effect on you. I mentioned the candy thing, right? Some kids are not tempted by candy. Others are. Some people are tempted by alcohol. Others are not. Some people are tempted by material possessions. Others are not. Some people are tempted by all kinds of things. Others not. Like We're all differently being lured. The question is, why do these desires lead to this path? Why do they pull us away? Well, there's two things that we're going to talk about that we need to understand as we recognize these lures. The first one is misplaced trust, and the second one is our distrust. So misplaced trust. Every single person here, every one of us, has misplaced trust. We all do it. Maybe a better way to phrase it is that mis- it's misplaced faith. Maybe it's in someone or something. Most commonly, our misplaced trust or our misplaced faith is in ourselves, We simply believe we know better. Think about the Valentine's candy again. If your kid is in there and you've told them don't eat the candy, why do they disobey? Because they think they know better than you. They think they can avoid the consequence or they just don't care about the consequence and they just want what they want. But at the end of the day, what really matters is they think they know best. They think they're wiser. Have you ever fallen into this challenge with the Lord? I know I certainly do. We have a desire and it lures us into disobedience, but the, the temptation, the test is this. Who are you going to trust? Your desire or God? Your desire or God? See, sometimes we trust the thing, not a person. We trust some experience or some moment to help quiet down the desires of our heart. 
So let's use another example to help us kind of understand. Like, again, we talked last week about external trials. So imagine yourself, you go to work, you have a really rough day, you're exhausted, you're working on that project, things aren't going well, finances aren't going well, maybe you got some coworkers you just don't like, they're not helping you in the process, and so you work a long day, and then you go home, and on your way home, you get a flat tire, and so you got to change your tire, and then you know the expense that that's going to be, and then you finally get home, and, and your spouse didn't take out the trash, or didn't have the dinner ready, or didn't do this, or didn't do that, and so now you're frustrated with that, and so you have to take care of those things, and then you got to fight your kids with homework, uh, and you got to fight them to get baths and showers, because kids like to be dirty, and I don't know why. Then you got to fight them to get into bed, right? I'm exhausted talking about this, because I've been there. Right? Anybody else? Like, you know what I'm talking about. And you are absolutely tanked and you're completely worn down. You feel like if someone else talks to you, you're going to lose it. And you finally get the kids in bed. And so that's the external trial that's going on. But then something happens. You want relief. You want rest. You want to find some semblance of control. You want something to happen inside of you to fix the angst you feel from the day and then, I don't know, the refrigerator kicks on and it makes you think about the bucket of ice cream, the Blue Bunny soft serve ice cream, which I just discovered. It's amazing. Like, you think, oh, man, like, if I just have enough ice cream, like, that'll calm my angst. Or you run an errand and, and you smell the smell of alcohol and you think, oh, well, you know what? Like, the smell of alcohol, like, that, that, if I engage in that, like, that will take away my desire. That will take away my angst and, and that'll give me rest or maybe you sit down on the couch and you start flicking through social media thinking, man, like if I had this or I had that, and then it leads you to go purchase something or buy something or look to the vacation that you want that you didn't have. And say, man, like maybe that will give me rest. Or the, the, the new ad for your favorite show's new season that just came out on Netflix, oh, no, that will surely engage and fix you and help you find rest and help address what's inside of you, Right? And I'm using mostly benign things here because it's that stuff that can tempt us away from the Lord just as much as the big things like drugs and alcohol and pornography and all that kind of stuff. Like we get all that, but what about anything that promises to meet the need inside of us that isn't Jesus is misplaced trust? Anything. Because if you're trying to fill an internal soul problem with worldly things, you will never find satisfaction from that well. You can't fix a spiritual issue with worldly things. It doesn't work, which is why you always have to keep going back. You have to keep going back to that sin because it's never going to bring satisfaction into your life. And at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're misplacing our trust in those other things. It will fix my problem. It will give me rest. It will give me peace. They will, whatever the word is for you, you know what it is. But oftentimes, like I said, your fleshly desires are just masking soul problems, spiritual issues. And giving to the flesh is never going to address the real problem. So in the midst of those moments, whatever it is, you're being lured away to put your trust into something else because of the desires that are inside of you. Will you instead be steadfast? Will you trust him? 
Will you stand under that test? The other problem isn't simply to misplace our trust, but it's to distrust the Lord. I believe all temptation involves suspicion about the goodness and love of God, the wisdom and knowledge of God, the power and ability of God, or the justice of God. He, he can't satisfy me. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't give me what he gave them. He's not fair. Why did he let that happen to me? He doesn't love me, or he would have not allowed this to happen. He would have prevented this to happen. This isn't fair. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that ever since Adam and Eve listened to the words of the serpent say, did God really say? This has been a core problem for every one of us. We simply, at our core, don't trust him. And that's a hard statement to say, isn't it? That's exactly what Adam and Eve, right? Like they didn't trust him. They desired the the fruit that looked good and they trusted that the beauty of this fruit would fulfill whatever they were looking for and they listened to the serpent, not the true God. They distrusted him. It's just this tiny seed that he can't be trusted. He really doesn't love you. He's really not there. I mean, after all, like doesn't he have the power to remove these circumstances from us? Doesn't this trial that I'm experiencing right now in my life, doesn't it prove that God is not worthy of trust? I mean, after all, all I want, I just want the the candy. That's not that big of a deal. Like, he just doesn't understand what my needs are. I know it's just candy, but see how how we are with that? Like, we don't trust him. I mean, don't you think that Joseph might have felt a tinge of this temptation when he was at the bottom of a well? Don't you think that Joseph might have felt a tinge of this temptation after he ran away from temptation with Potiphar's wife but ended up in prison? Do you ever think that maybe Moses felt a tinge of this temptation when he's standing with his back against the Red Sea and an army coming at him to kill him? You ever think that maybe Stephen was tempted to doubt God when a stone started getting thrown at his head? But here's the beauty of those men. Whatever the temptations they had, they remained steadfast. They trusted the Lord. They trusted him. And he came through every time. Now, sometimes it took years in Joseph's case, right? Like it took years, but he always came through. And they remained faithful. And as a result, they received a crown of life. This is what James wants for us. And and for us to recognize the lures that are pulling us away, the desires that are pulling us away, oftentimes are because we're wanting to misplace our trust in other things and simply distrust the Lord. Now my hope is, is that as you're sitting here and you're listening to this, you can apply these things to your life and you can start to see how you have been in these places before where you've been tempted by the desires inside of your heart to distrust or misplace your trust in the Lord and it tempts you to sin. But I also want us to not just recognize the problem or to recognize the lures that lure us away, but we also want to recognize our hope, amen? Amen. I'm going to run through six things that we can lean into as we pray to the Lord for help in resisting temptations of all kinds in our lives. 
The first one's this. You have to first start by deciding to submit to him. That's hard. Easy words, really hard practical application. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a great book called Joyful, Joyful Surrender, which I highly recommend. She says this, Christian discipline means placing oneself under orders. It is no mere business of self-improvement. That's not what Christian life is. The Christian is not doing his thing to find his own life or liberty or happiness. He gives himself to a master, and in so doing, he leaves self behind. Remember how we started this book? James saw himself as a slave, as his brother. Like, we have to be willing to submit. This is the whole point of oftentimes the reason why we say, like, I want to do what I want to do is because we're looking for our happiness, we're looking for our life, we're looking for things that we want, and we simply aren't willing to submit ourselves to a master. Are you willing to? Are you willing to submit yourself to one who knows best, even when you don't understand what he's asking, even when it doesn't feel good? Let me, let me just tell you, oftentimes things of the Spirit won't feel good to the flesh. But you just need to understand that. Not, at least not initially. Now, over time, it changes. You submit when your flesh is saying, no, I don't want to do this. This thing is better for me. Elizabeth also said this. I think it's a profound reminder. I cannot be saved from my sins unless I am also saved from myself. I cannot be saved from my sins unless I am also saved from myself. So Christ must be commanding officer in my life. Brothers and sisters, if you don't believe that you need to be saved from yourself, you're not going to find victory in your life because you're going to constantly be tempted to trust yourself over him, to trust your desires over him. And he will always prove faithful. We certainly don't prove that. Will we submit to him? Next, the easy one that we've already talked about. I say easy to say, but it has to be listed here. Will we trust him? Will we trust him? Now, here, here's what I want to deal with this because it's easy to say this, but you may be sitting there and say, but I don't. How do I move from not trusting to trusting and you can know you don't trust him because you continue to do and experience the same sins and experience the same challenges. Well, here's a couple things you can do. Read his word. See his trustworthiness. Recount the ways that he's been faithful to you in your own life. Be around other people that he's been faithful to so that you can see God's trustworthiness in their lives and thank him for it. Recount and memorize his promises. Take small steps of trust and watch how he will prove himself trustworthy. Listen, Instead of saying, as you're wrestling with sin, I'm never going to do this sin again, how about, how about the next time the temptation comes, just the next time, you, you, just, you just put your trust in him that one time. Just that one time. It's way too easy for us to be like, I'm never doing it again. Just, just tomorrow, just today, just put your trust in him one time. And see what he does. Will he prove faithful? Will he quiet your soul? Will he give you what you need? I believe 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he absolutely will, will be faithful to that promise. So trust him. Put your faith in him. Take a step. When the trial comes, ask for his help. Write down how he comes through. Maybe it'll be a friend who calls you, a stranger, maybe it'll be a sermon. And then simply this, if you struggle to trust God, ask him to increase your trust. Ask him to increase your faith. So submit to him, trust in him, and get close to him. I love the story of Peter. Um, I actually read this in a book a while ago, and, I, and it's just stuck with me, and it's been with me for weeks now. Um, but the story of Peter, where um, he, he goes out to fish, and, and if you know anything about Peter, you know Peter was a fisherman. He didn't learn to be a fisherman on YouTube. He was a fisherman from the time he was a little kid. Like his dad taught him it. He understood everything about the Sea of Galilee, the best time to go fishing, the best places to go fishing, the best way to fish. Like his hands were, were built for it. Like he knew every aspect of how to fish in the Sea of Galilee. And the story goes that he goes out to fish and he fishes all night long and he comes back to shore and he catches nothing. Pretty dejecting. He did everything right because he's a fisherman, right? And he gets in, and Jesus gets into the boat, a carpenter. And he says, hey, I want you to go back out. So Peter's like, okay. And he goes back out, and Jesus is like, why don't you throw your nets down? If I'm Peter, I'm like, dude, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. Been here, done this. Like, this isn't even the right time of day to be doing this. But that's not what Peter does. Peter trusts Jesus. And he puts his, his nets in the water, and he catches the fish and, and pulls them back to the shore. And here's the lesson of this. You can do everything right, but if Jesus isn't there, you won't see fruit. You can even be religious, brothers and sisters, I mean, if you're trying to fight your temptation with religion, you're going to fail because it can't bear that fruit. You need to be seeking his presence first and foremost in your life. I have often fallen into the temptation personally of trying to fight my sin to prove my love for Jesus. Anybody else? Like I'm trying to fight my sin to prove my love for Jesus instead of realizing I can't fight my sin because it's ingrained into me and I need to be fighting my sin with Jesus. Like He wants to be in the boat with me. He doesn't say, well, you go figure it out and you go fight that sin and you go get clean from that sin and then you come back and talk to me. Jesus says, like, like, let me in the boat for crying out loud. Like, like, brothers and sisters, like you can be trying all of the right things on the checklist, but if you're not doing it in the presence of Jesus, like it's going to fail every time. I know that from experience in the failure side, and I know it in the, in the victory side. Not because I was strong enough, but because he was there. He was, he was just there. And memorizing Bible verses to help you fight sin, that's different been memorizing Bible verses to remain close to him. Did you hear what I said? Like memorizing Bible verses to fight your sin is entirely different than memorizing Bible verses to be close to him. Like it's a matter of motive, right? That's like my wife writing me a Valentine's Day. I don't know why I keep going back to Valentine's Day, but whatever. 
Um, like she writes me a Valentine's note, and, and I decide to keep it in my pocket, thinking that if I just memorize all the words on that Valentine's note, it's going to keep my eyes from straying and looking at somebody else. That's ridiculous. But if that Valentine's note helps keep my wife in front of me and her awesomeness and her amazingness and how wonderful she is and how much I love her, that's a totally different thing. So often we're like, all right, I got to fight my sin. And so I use all these mechanisms to do it. No, no. Memorize Bible. Pray. Spend time in the word. But do it to be close to Jesus, not to fight your sin. Because only next to Jesus will you find victory because you can't do it alone. So we need to get close to him. Now, now here's kind of these things that we need to start. We focus on our connection to him. We submit to him. We trust him. We get close to him. And I want to get us to some practical things that we can do. One, we need to remove nudges. If you haven't heard that term, it's out of um, Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. Um, and I'm going to be talking more about those in the tech forum that we've got on September 20th. Um, you need to be there if you have a phone period. Like I just think we do because it's a huge problem for all of us. Um, and it's one of those things, but I think this idea of nudges applies um, to all temptations, which is this. We need to recognize when we're being nudged towards the desires of our heart, right? How many of you failed and woke up in the morning thinking, you know what I'm doing today? I'm going to sin against Jesus. That never happens. Well, I don't know about never. It shouldn't. But it rarely happens. That's not what happens. Usually what happens, it's little tiny things throughout the day that slowly nudge us towards the temptation. And if you recognize that, get away from it. Right? If you struggle with a covetous heart, hint, turn the notifications off Facebook. It's a nudge. It's going to nudge you towards coveting. If you struggle with pride, then maybe you need to think about a different way to go to the gym because maybe that nudges you towards that. If you struggle towards addiction to this, that, or the other, like you know the nudges that nudge you in those directions and stay away from them and don't let yourself justify yourself. Well, oh, it's, it's just harmless. Satan's way too good and he's way too smart and your desires that are inside of you are way too strong to think that you can just engage in the flesh all day long and let it nudge you towards the desires of your heart, and then when the temptation comes, you be strong enough to stop. You won't. So remove the nudges. Figure out what they are. I can't give you all of that. You've got to pray through that yourself. Like, what is it that leads you into temptation? Next, be a help to others. I say, how does that help us with temptation? Well, be aware of the things that you might be doing that are causing temptation to others. Language, dress, what you eat, what you drink, what you put in front of others. Because if you're aware of someone else's spiritual need and desire, it helps you in your own spiritual need. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be something that's going to feel like this isn't very sensitive, or it's, at least I know it's a sensitive topic, right? But, but let me just, just work with me, all right? First and foremost, I'm going to say that guys who struggle with lust, that's their problem. It's in their heart, right? Are we good? If a guy looks at a woman, don't care what it is, don't care what it is, how she's dressed, don't care what the circumstance is, and he lusts after her, that's his problem. Like, he did that, right? 
However, is it not true that we are to be mindful of our brothers and sisters in temptation? Is it not true, women, that you are to dress modestly? Does that mean it's your fault if a guy lusts? Absolutely not. Can you help him? Absolutely. How does this help both equations? Well, here's the deal. Let's say, ladies, if your vanity is what's driving you to dress immodestly, then you need help with that challenge, just like the man needs help with his challenge of lust. And so by you being concerned about others around you, you're actually dealing with your own challenges. Make sense? See? So this is a reality for us in life. Like, we need to be mindful all the time of the people that are around us. If you know that a brother and sister in Christ have a drinking problem or they struggled when they were younger with a drinking problem, probably not best to have them over to your house and have wine. Like, that, that's not good. And you can help your brother and sister. And by helping your brother and sister, it can actually help you address the temptations in your own heart. Why? Because you're having to die to your desires. Well, but I want to drink a glass of wine. It's my right. Yes, but you're dying to yourself for the sake of a brother. The more you die to your flesh, the weaker it will get. Let me just tell you again. The more you die to your flesh, the weaker it will be. Like a lion, right? The more you feed it, the stronger it gets. So this is another way that you can help engage this, be a help to others. Next, don't just remove all his gifts. Like, the James knew we would do this, right? And that's why he says, like, every good gift comes from the Father at the end of James. Like, he knows that we're going to try to swing the pendulum the other way and say, I'm never watching TV. I'm never doing this. I'm never doing that. No, no, this isn't the issue. The problem isn't those things because if you notice, most temptations are rooted in good things. Are they not? Most temptations to sin are rooted in good things that we have twisted and our desires have turned into gods and idols. And so don't go the other end of the spectrum and be like, you know what, Um, I'm never doing this and I'm never doing that. You may need to do some of those things for a season, but God has given us good things to enjoy in this world in his presence. And what can happen is if you remove things that he's given to us for good, we can actually create more problems in our lives. And I see people do that all the time. All right, they, they sin because of desires in their hearts. They're lured away. They're enticed. They sin. They misplace their trust in something else. They feel guilty. They feel bad. And then as a re- result of that, they go the other end of the spectrum and, and they say, God, I'm never going to do it again, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to remove all of these other things. Anybody done that? Some of us have. But that's the pendulum. Like, I'm just going to move it. Like, this isn't good at all. That's not the answer. The answer is to deal with our hearts. It's to deal with what's going on inside of us. Now, here's the thing. I don't have time to address everything. I didn't mention fasting, which is another way for us to weaken our flesh prayer. I didn't mention that, but that's another way to get close to him. There's all of these different things, but I believe these are good places for us to start in the battle against temptation that's inside of us. Because we want to be victorious, right? We want to be overcomers, not just in the external things that happen, but also in the internal temptations of our own hearts. So I want to close this morning with an invitation to hope. If you're struggling this morning 
and you're struggling with sin, and you got something that you just deal with on a regular basis, so I want to encourage you that in humility, one of the first things you can do is to lay that down before the Lord and just say it. Just confess it. Just confess it. That's why he says, like, if, you're, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, um, to confess it to him in all specificity. Not like, I was angry with my wife this week. No, but be specific and be like, Lord, in that moment, I reacted in anger in this way. I, I, was, I, was, um, I didn't have integrity in my business. No, don't, be specific. Lord, I did this thing in my business. And you confess it and bring light to it, and maybe you need to confess it to someone else. And maybe what you're struggling with has turned itself into something like an addiction where you need not only confession and you not only need these things, but you need real help, like with counsel. Like, you need to confess so that you can have people help lead you into those places to get help. And so I want to lead us this morning that as we sing a song, as we seek, end our time with a song, I want to encourage you, like, like just if you've got a sin or you struggle with that or maybe you, you just want to confess that, would you be bold enough to take a step to come down and, and either talk to someone or at least just physically move in a way that says I'm confessing this sin and just come down to the front. Maybe just pray down at the steps for a moment. And maybe you're not ready to share it with somebody that that's fine. At least make the step of saying like, I can't do this by myself anymore. Just make that step. And again, maybe someone will come up and want to pray with you and you can say like, you know, I'm not ready to share that yet. That's okay. But I think that there's a huge amount of power in being willing to confess and being able to say like, I- I'm, I'm struggling to distrust. I'm struggling to misplace my trust. Like, I, I just really want this stuff. And I want to give you that opportunity as we sing this song. Second, if you're a person here that doesn't know Christ, listen, I, I know you may look at this and you may say, I don't feel any guilt over any of the things that I do. That may be real for you. What I would ask you to do whether you feel guilt or whether you don't feel guilt, doesn't matter. It's still sin, and God is still the one you're going to have to answer to for that sin someday. Guilt doesn't have anything to do with your feelings. It has to do with the one who sets the standard. And he's the one who sets the standard. And you're going to have to face him someday. And this morning, like, I'd encourage you, even as we sing this song, maybe you're like, I'm not ready to do that. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't feel any of this stuff. Like, I don't, like, that's fine. I would ask the question, how's your life? You just be honest enough to ask the question, like, do you feel peace? Maybe you do, which is scary. But how are the relationships in your world? How how are the things that are going on? And like, um, and maybe, Maybe you feel like it's all fine. Your relationship with God's still not fine. And so I want to just invite you as well to just ponder those things, think about those things, and if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to give your life to Christ, like we want to certainly make that available as well this morning. And so we're going to sing a song after I pray.
I'm going to invite our prayer counselors, elders, pastors to come up to the front and be ready to pray with those. And listen, I know you don't have to come to the front, but I encourage you to. I know you can just do it right there, but nonetheless, I, I genuinely don't believe that there's any of us in this room that are perfect. I know there's none of us here that are perfect because Jesus, well, he's here, but he's not here bodily, right? Like we're all sinners, every one of us. And we all need help in doing what Paul said, which is to forget that which has gone behind and press on. And you may be struggling with the idea of pressing on this morning. Man, I hope James and what he's shown us this morning help us encourage you. Like you have help in Jesus. You have help in the Lord. You have help in his church. You don't have to fight these things alone. So would you just, just, just respond during this time? However, just between you and the Lord um, as we sing. But let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll enter into that song. Father, conviction to sin in our lives cannot come from me. Conviction cannot come from any source outside of your spirit. word has called us to examine ourselves but also to cry out to you to test us and examine if there's any wicked way in us and there's people in this room this morning that they they feel no conviction of their sin I know it like it's there it's present it's alive and they give to the desires of the flesh and they give to the desires of the eyes and they, they live in accordance with the pride of life every day and they feel no conviction of it whatsoever. Lord, I pray that that would change this morning. That by your spirit, you would convict of sin. Father, there's others in this room this morning, like they are weary and they are tired because they fight and they fight and they fight. I'm going to pray this morning that, Lord, you would help them by your word to be able to recognize the problem and then begin to make steps forward to find freedom in you this morning, this day. Father, there's brothers and sisters in this room that they feel encouraged in their lives because they feel like you're, you're, you're giving them victory. Lord, I want to pray that those in this room that are in that space, Lord, that they, they would not forget they are not yet perfect. And they still have wicked desires inside of them that will rear their ugly heads. Lord, I pray that they would see it so that they will not be tempted to fall one day. So even for them that feel victorious in this moment, Lord, would you... Would you Help them to see areas which are still not yet surrendered to you. And Lord, for all of us, may your steadfast love be what we rely upon. May you send your mercy. May you send your grace. May we rely on your mercy and may we rely on your grace as we fight the battle of sin, as we walk this road to completion. 
because trials, both external and internal, are around us every day. And we need you. And we need your mercy and grace. And so, Lord, would you speak to us in the next couple of moments, and would you help us to be bold enough to respond however we need to, to be sensitive to your spirit working in us right now, that we might find freedom from the sins that so easily entangle us. I pray and ask these things in your name.